0: we Hey, if you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place. Today's buzz is two simple letters, B-I. You know what they stand for, and if not, I'm going to tell you business intelligence. Question of the day, oxymoron Hmm. or game changer? Let me ask a few more questions. Can B-I really enable your company to be smarter? Can BI really enable you to respond to global market forces with amazing agility? I love that phrase, amazing agility. We have to embroider that somewhere. And ultimately, can BI allow you to leap tall competitors in a single bound? If you're old enough, you get that reference. Today is our fourth peek into this very evergreen topic. We're going to take a fresh look at big data Analytics, mobility, the need for visionary leaders with intellectual curiosity. Yes, what an old-fashioned notion. We need to bring that back. And lots more. The experts speak. First on the panel today is Brian S. Summer from TechVentive. He says, think big, be big is sort of an unofficial motto for Texas. But with BI initiatives, the motto should be think big, then think even more bigger. I do want to embroider that. We'll talk to Brian about it in a minute and find out the genesis of that and what he really means. Also joining us today is our friend Josh Greenbaum from EAC, that's Enterprise Applications Consulting. And Josh says the following, there are two kinds of people in the world, those who love data and those who don't. Big data has to be made accessible to the latter without requiring them to become like the former. We'll do that tautology. I'm not sure if it is a little circular reasoning there. We're going to find out and unravel that equation with Josh in a few minutes. And rounding out our panel today is Jason Rose from SAP. And Jason quotes Yogi Berra. Everybody quotes Yogi Berra, and this is a good one. If you don't know where you're going, you'll wind up somewhere else. There are other permutations of that quote, but I love this one. So pour a cup of whatever you're drinking and join us for how smart is BI without a Strategy Part 4. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. We're coming to you live. It's Wednesday, May 22nd, and anybody who's keeping count, this is the 86th live episode in this series we started in late 2011 quick question for my game changer listeners and then i'm going to introduce the panel okay do you know how mobility can transform your business well it's time you found out we have a free cio playbook for you go to the business channel on voice america click any banner it'll take you to a page with 10 free goodies and look for cio playbook it's on the house Thank you, and let's find out who's on my panel today. Brian S. Summer founded TechVentive, Inc. to help technology firms win more, win better, and win conclusively in the marketplace. Brian has a unique mix of serious technology expertise – Paired with thousands of hours working with top execs of Fortune five hundred companies, and he has a rock solid marketing background. His thirty plus years of experience in management consulting focus on ERP software, business process reengineering, strategic consulting, and business ecosystems. Welcome back to Game Changers. Brian Summer, how are you today?
2: Doing just fine, Bonnie. Good to hear you again.
0: Thank you. Good to, looking forward to hearing you. We have a lot to talk about. Thanks for joining. And on the panel also is Josh Greenbaum, another friend of ours on SAP Radio. Josh is the founder of EAC Enterprise Applications Consulting. He's been in the enterprise software space for over 30 years. Josh, you don't look it. He's been a computer programmer, a systems analyst, an author, a consultant, and an industry analyst. Earlier in his career, he was a statistical analyst for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Resources. It was then that Josh realized how hard it is for smart people to understand how to best use complex data, and I know if his career expands 30 years, and we're talking with him today, there is a lot of complex data today that probably Josh didn't even imagine at that point. How are you, Josh Greenbaum? Uh,
3: and uh, thank you. I'm still trying to imagine all the data that's coming <laughs> in, so yes, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. And yeah, I started my career when I was six, so that's why I actually resembled the picture that you probably saw of me recently.
0: Yes, but I thank know. you, to be here. Thank you, Josh, and thanks for the laugh. And Jason Rose is head of business intelligence BI solution marketing at SAP. He leads the go-to-market activities for the industry's leading on-premise and cloud-based BI solutions, SAP business objects. With over 12 years in BI, he must be very young, Josh. With over 12 years in BI and performance management, Jason drives CRISP customer communications he tailors market messages and he grows sap's thought leadership position in bi and i know for a fact he does a great job jason rose welcome back to game changers radio how are you today
4: I'm doing very well, uh, Bonnie. Thanks very much for the uh, the kind words. And, uh, you know, <laughs> listening to Josh and uh, Brian's uh, uh, intros, I think I have to go out and found something. I, say, I think that's <laughs> in my bio
0: right now. We'll work on that before the next show. I'm hoping we have part five. So let me go back to the monologue and let's tear this baby apart one quote at a time. Brian Summer said, think big, be big. Unofficial motto of Texas, but we're talking about BI initiatives today, and Brian says the motto should be think big, then think even bigger. How big do we have to think, Brian Summer? Talk to me.
2: Well, um, you know, so I'll just use some numbers I heard last week at Sapphire, and this is not a shameless plug for SAP, but it was. I was there, and there were a lot of numbers bounced around. I mean, you know, you could probably put all of uh, SAP's big um, R3 customers or enterprise uh, suite customers, you could put all their ERP data, and it fits handily in just one cloud center that SAP's already built, uh, something they call the petabyte farm. But, you know, what SAP's also got now in their cloud environment are the ability to run hundreds of massively parallel processors together synchronously, and, uh, simultaneously, uh, they can process, uh, you know, you know, vast quantities of information, uh, in memory. 200 and, I think it was 246 terabytes of data in memory at any given time. We saw examples of them parsing through 300, I think it was 84 million point of sale cash register transactions from one retailer. Uh, in like four thousandths of a second, and they were doing this on stage live mm-hmm. and doing all this kind of stuff. The the volumes that people used to deal with in the past were heavily limited by, phys- by old hard disk uh, storage mechanisms, uh, by single-threaded processors, a whole bunch of other technical stuff we don't need to get into. But the bottom line is there was a time for most of um, – well, I'm sure I'm probably the same age as Jason, but he probably, I mean, uh, not Jason, excuse me, uh, Josh. Josh. Jason
3: is not Uh, (laughs) our (laughs) age. Yeah, but uh, Josh,
2: uh, but uh, I wish I was Jason's age, let's put it that way. Um, Uh, We all do. (laughs) But I remember very clearly, you know, working with extraordinarily constrained computers years back, Mm -hmm. like 64K of memory and a 64-meg hard drive. That was a mid-range machine. And uh, that constrained IT world doesn't exist anymore, so now we can just get all the data data you ever want from machine interfaces and every weather data and we can we can treat we can treat information uh as if it was just some transitory thing that just kind of comes and goes we pick out the pieces we want and throw the rest of it away because there's another pile of it coming around the corner and Mm -hmm. erp data is just a a, a, the, the tip of the needle's eye i guess you know that's that's all that's really in there now compared to all the other cool stuff that's coming around the corner
0: Thank you, Brian. Good start to our conversation here. Let's move this to the young Josh Greenbaum. Josh, I love this. There are two kinds of people in the world. We know that's been used, overused, and re-overused, but you have a new take on it, those who love data and those who don't. So the goal here is making big data accessible to the ones who don't without making them be like the ones who do. Talk to me. Where are we going with this? First
3: of all, I have to say the original quote is there are two kinds of people in the world, those who believe there are two kinds of people and those who don't. And I've only, only extended it slightly. Josh, really, you it, sound like a guy who believes in
2: binary. Uh, you, know, who, binary you
3: probably binary. keep your check. But seriously, you know, part of, oh, Bonnie, this comes out of a realization as, as though I'm a, a man of a certain age, I have very young children, and I've become more and more obsessed with math education, partly because it's really the starting point I believe, for the journey, we're actually talking about today in the business world. It starts in the Mm -hmm. education system. I think I brought this up before. And I've observed sitting in parent-teacher groups, parent-administration groups, and now I'm part of what's called a math circle of of parents and and educators. There really are two kinds of people in the world, those who are scared of math and those who love it. Mm -hmm. And that that binary (laughs) division really trickles up into the business world, and we end up uh, and I wrote this in my blog post from Sapphire. MBA schools are really good at, at producing spreadsheet jockeys and managed by numbers execs. They're not necessarily good at helping people imagine, coming out of business school, helping them imagine what to do with all that data that, that Brian was just discovering and talking about mm-hmm. that's in the enterprise. This, to me, is the real gating issue for SAP and, and its customers. is How do you really translate this opportunity into reality? How do you teach people... Without bringing in, with all due respect, you know, people like us who really get it. Mm -hmm. How do you you teach everybody else to 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 understand and synthesize data and do something very very unique with it? We're we're you know we got more data than we know what to do with right now, and that's not a good thing. We need to do more with it.
0: And we're going to be getting more, and we're still not going to know what to do with it. So we need to figure it out. Good point. Thanks for bringing this back to the the four-letter word, Josh, math, because that's when people think data, they think math, numbers and figures and statistics. So, good, let's get it back to there. And maybe we can, in the predictions section of the show, the last part, which is the crystal ball, maybe you can make some predictions about how math will be embraced in a different way, perhaps, by generations to come where they will get it. So thank you, Josh. Jason Rose, I have time for you, of course, before we finish this segment. If you don't know where you're going, you'll wind up somewhere else, Yogi Berra. So forget about Yogi's words. What does Jason Rose have to say? What's your thought on this relationship to our BI and strategy question today?
4: Well, I I really like the comments about both going big and then also uh, making it easy enough that even people that probably fit into the second of Josh's categories can actually utilize that information and apply it in their job. And I think, you know, there is this dichotomy between big and complex, which much of Mm -hmm. this new information could be considered fairly big and complex. And it actually bears out in some of the research. So we've seen um, companies uh, identify that data is a very big, important asset for them. And, you know, somewhere in the uh, high 80s to low 90s, of companies acknowledge data as a differentiator. However, uh, in those same companies, probably less than 10% of data is actually being applied and utilized in the business. So right now there's a huge disconnect between the acknowledgement that data is a huge asset and the application of that data, and I think it comes back to some of the points that uh, both Brian and Josh made. One, um, this new data is something that people are still struggling in figuring out how to apply into their business. It's something that we call dark data, and then on the other side of that equation, the the very people that could benefit from this information are typically not the ones using analytics today. They're the operational frontline worker, the maintenance guy Mm -hmm. walking up to an airplane about to fix a particular part. Uh, It's the retail clerk uh, in your favorite retailer Walmart or Target or one of your other favorite stores that's up there at the front of the line, they're uh, high turnover, they're uh, probably fall into that more afraid of math and aware of math uh, category. But we need them to embrace the technology, embrace the um, intelligence that comes from this information and apply it right in the moment when they're transacting with their customer.
0: Very, very good. So we've got to bring it from the back room to the front of the store. We've got to bring it to companies, not we, companies, in order to succeed, in order to stay current, in order to use what's coming in, what's streaming in, and make it to their best advantage, have to get the right information at the right time to the right people. Could we sum it up that way, Jason?
4: You could. I I, I think we've, uh, boy, Josh, uh, uh, Brian, going back through the history, I've certainly heard that one before. Yes, yes. it's (laughs) It's a noble goal.
0: It's a noble goal. You know what? I have a noble goal. Brad, I think we're going to go out and take a little more time. I want to chat with these people before we come back with our What's in Your Cup today. I'm getting some tweets on what people are drinking. This should be fun. So I'm going to do a wrap-up here of our first segment. I'm speaking with Brian S. Summer from Techventive. He says, "Think big, then think even bigger." I will put that somewhere, Brian. I promise. Josh Greenbaum. There are two people in the world, two kinds of people in the world. Those who think there are and there aren't. Love data, love don't don't love data, love math, don't love math. We're going to see if we can solve some of their problems before the show is over. And Jason Rose likes Yogi Berra, and we're going to be talking to the three of them about what's in their cup. I know they have some amazing stories. We're talking today about how smart is BI without a strategy? It's such a big topic. We had part one and part two and part three and today is part four i predict there'll be a part five in our future i'm bonnie d graham you're listening to coffee break with game changers don't even think of touching that app we will be back brad out
1: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network
0: And here we are and it's time to ask my three esteemed guests what they're drinking today. Now that you're back from Sapphire, I assume you have exactly what you want in your cup. So, Brian Summer, what's in your cup today? Are you going to surprise me or are we going to do the same old, same old?
2: Yeah, call me a creature, have it. Uh the only thing that changed today is that uh I'm actually drinking a uh a sixteen point nine fluid ounce version of a Doctor Pepper this morning. Um so uh I'm still nursing the one I started at breakfast. Uh you know me, a Snickers bar and a Doctor Pepper. That's the breakfast of champions.
0: Hey, that powers you up every time. Yes, think big, think even bigger. So it's a bigger Dr. Pepper today. Glad to hear that, Brian. Brian, you know, when I do prep calls for the show, we share some of the coffee break stories we've heard from previous guests. And I was mentioning to somebody a couple weeks ago, we have a regular guest on the show, frequent guest, who drinks warm Dr. Pepper for breakfast. And this woman blurted out, that's Brian Summer. Your reputation precedes you, my friend. Josh Greenbaum, what are you drinking today? Where are you today, Josh?
3: I'm, I'm home in Berkeley, California, and I, I want to say after hearing Brian's breakfast, I'm glad my children aren't listening to this show. It's <laughs> <clearly> not, um, <laughs> I don't want them to learn about Brian's uh, habits. And, and I'm, uh, what I would like to be drinking right now would be a um, Brazilian caipirinha with um, a <clears throat> little or imported Norwegian glass glacial ice cube mixed oh. in my Denny's 6100, automatic ice crusher with uh, two scoops of sugar, but I'm actually drinking he, however I just as a plug i'm drinking in, in this excellent mug that says coffee break with game changers you are
0: it. you own the official the official i'm plugging yes i'm
3: plugging the thank merch you. that um <coughs> i got from the show thank you very <laughs> it even
0: much has my name on it what about that i have to tell my therapist there's a mug with my name on it she'll really <laughs> enjoy that i have arrived and jason rose what are you drinking today
4: well, I, I have to really say now, I think it's 8.20 in, uh, California. So, Josh, I'm glad you went with the tea and not the Kai Perenia, uh, at this, uh, hour of the morning. <laughs> Um, but uh, interestingly, before Sapphire, I did the noble deed of actually cutting coffee out, and I thought I'd be a hero. I was making a big sacrifice, but it turns out the warm, the hot water and the tea bags uh, that sit next to those big coffee urns at Sapphire are actually uh-huh. far superior than the um, you know mediocre to terrible coffee that's actually in those urns. So it turned out to be a really great decision. So I'm drinking some organic green tea. Uh, this morning and uh, enjoying my uh, caffeine in a more subtle form.
0: It's a beautiful thing. I have three tweets I have to read now. We have the lovely Kristen Mestri from SAP in Miami. She said she's drinking the best mango juice. Yes, the brand is called BEST. Delicious, I I can't believe this, delicious mango juice all the way from Egypt and she has tweeted at hashtag SAP radio and there's actually a picture. The word is BEST in all caps, mango juice drink. My goodness. Thank you, Kristen. And of course, Mal Malcolm Kimberlin, back from Sapphire as well, from the Cone of Silence sound booth where we did 28 Sapphire influencer interviews in two days. Malcolm is, says he's, he's caught stepping out on his Equator coffees with Phil's Coffee, P-H-I-L-Z Coffee. Thank you, Malcolm. We won't tell Equator. You left them in the lurch today. And Margo Heiligman, also from SAP, says she loves Nespresso even more. She loves her Descafinato Lungo, center of the sun hot. Oh, Margot. Margo. What a picture word. So now that we've dispensed, well, that's a good word, dispensed with our beverage segment, I, Josh Greenbaum, you told me you've got a story you want to share with us about BI, math, strategy. Talk to me. Where would you like to go with this?
3: Well, it's, it's actually about how, how, how smart people can make simple mistakes using mm-hmm. good data. And, and it's a very simple story, which is the following. We had some guests over for dinner the other day. I put rice on the table, and one of them said, you know, I'm cutting, I'm cutting out rice or cutting back on rice. I said, why? He said, well, We read in consumer reports that rice contains enormous amounts of inorganic arsenic, which is a known carcinogen. And, of course, Mm -hmm. I instantly went to the – you know, I said, great, this is interesting. Mm -hmm. I went to the report. I looked at it. So here's an interesting. And what you find is some very complex analysis and some complex epidemiology driving this person's decision. And it's the following. Yes, there is lots of – Or inorganic arsenic in the, in the rice that consumer reports looked at. Now they look at 200 samples, but if you walk into the average grocery store, there's going to be literally hundreds more. They only took samples on one day from a couple, Mm -hmm. from literally a few stores. They then showed the data, and it's true. There's enormous amounts, enormous variation. In fact, you couldn't really figure out where was the, you know, could you buy from India and not and get less? Could you buy it from California and get more? More importantly, because my wife is in the epidemiology world, I went and looked mm-hmm. at the, 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 the subsequent data, and what you find is that our, it's well known that rice does this. In fact, 19% of our dietary arsenic, if you want to mm. think of that, comes from rice. Yeah. Guess where the other 80% comes from? Where? Fruit and vegetables. Now, if you're uh-huh. going to <laughs> <literally, laughs> go into a, I'm going to get rid of arsenic mode, of, mode you're going to actually start eliminating all the things that make you healthy and hence the bad decision from a data point. This person said, you know, started down the road of, I'm going to be healthy by getting rid of rice without knowing the underlying data, without actually investigating what's really happening with this question, and in fact, you know, really experimenting with what is the epidemiology behind arsenic. The point being, very simple to take a data point from a well-known source, consumer Mm Reports, use it to create a policy, no more arsenic in my house, and get it right. completely wrong. This, to me, really says, what do we, you know, we get to make these bad decisions all day long in our lives, and so do businesses. And, and back to where we started, lots of big data, lots of big projects, but if you don't really have someone who's going to look under the hood a little bit and understand all the underlying factors, you might get it you may have great data and great analysis and have a completely wrong conclusion.
0: So, Josh, we might say if ignorance is bliss, ignorance today could be very dangerous because, as you say, you're using a little bit of data with bad conclusions for something that could be harmful. Brian Summer, you want to weigh in on this interesting point Josh brings up? Yeah. Uh,
2: um, Josh is really onto to something here. I was talking with a bunch of um, accounting professors yesterday, and uh, the subject was business, uh, business intelligence and big data. And uh, I, I commented about how the newer BI tools or uh, the big data tools, they use a technique called search and uh, discover, where they are parsing through massive amounts of data and they're letting algorithms and the statistical tools point out interesting correlations, if you will, between uh, two kinds of things going on. The problem with this is, A lot of people, a lot of uh, naive folks, they see a correlation and they assume something called causality. So, for example, let's say you found a a correlation that said that a lot of uh, people who uh, were delinquent on their home mortgages did not have a savings account. Mm -hmm. The mistake somebody makes is going, oh, well, if Josh Greenbaum here doesn't have a savings account, then he's going to be a deadbeat mortgagee and they'll deny him alone on that basis. There, right. There's not a connection there is what I'm mm-hmm. getting at. Uh, the fact that there was a correlation doesn't mean causality. doesn't mean, uh, the, you know, if you go the other way around on this. And I know this is kind of one of these uh, interesting arguments that statisticians and uh, mathematicians get into, but it's a really important one. And a lot of business people and marketing folks who use the power of some of this, like uh, when they're doing, um, uh, they're looking for all kinds of relationships in social media data and other stuff. You don't want to fall into that trap of uh, seeing a correlation and assuming that uh, that is going to be a uh, uh, you know pointing to a cause you know a causal uh, situation. It doesn't always work that way. In fact, it may rarely work that way, and I think that's a real big risk. I kind of liken to giving some of these BI tools to the uninitiated. It's like giving a chainsaw to a four-year-old. If they could ever get it running, you know, it'll sound cool and great for a few minutes, but then you got a bloody mess on your hands
0: afterwards. Uh, (laughs) It's kind of graphic, but (laughs) (laughs) Jason Rose, i got to get you in on this. We're getting very colorful and graphical today. Talk to me. Well, my son just turned four
4: yesterday, and uh, believe me, we're keeping the uh, chainsaw away. <laughs> so oh, way I, feel <laughs> so <much idea>. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so well, much better. Feel so much better now. I, I, I think it actually hits on uh, you know a really interesting uh, point mm-hmm. here that uh, you know a lot of times we're under an awful lot of pressure to deliver insights, to make use of the data, to make use of the information, and often. Um, you know, analysis, uh, you know, you, you hear analysis paralysis, uh, people taking too much time on analysis, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, oftentimes we face the exact opposite. We see a, a factor, you know, we ran a promotion, uh, we've seen an increase in sales, therefore that promotion was the cause. Let's go out and repeat that uh, regional promotion on a global basis, and then everybody's left scratching their head and going, well, why didn't that work, when it actually mm-hmm. turns out that there was a heat wave in that particular part of the country. That just happened to happen at the exact same time, so ice cream or whatever we were trying to uh, promote, actually sold really well for an entirely different set of reasons. However, uh, having said that, I think there is a need to spend the time and do the analysis, and I think that's where a lot of companies are are falling short right now. I think uh, being able to pull um, a lot of this new information into a broader context, um, I think doing POCs or proof of concepts with people that are probably fall more on the knowledgeable side of the scale than uh, putting mm-hmm. it in the hands of the four-year-old, so to speak, um, is a great way to at least begin to try out test hypothesis, um, apply some maybe more advanced analytics to information, but do it in a controlled fashion. Do it in an environment where you do have that professional person that has the background, can understand the sample size, can understand the significance of the uh, uh Algorithms or the uh, uh, techniques being applied, and then look to roll that out on a on a broader basis once you 've kind of established more of that causal relationship. avoid the knee jerk reaction, avoid the uh, armchair uh, statistician sitting back and making calls on data that potentially is uh, bad, so I think you know there's a, a big case to be made for small is beautiful, start with a good pilot with knowledgeable people, and then go big once you've established some, uh, some good findings and some good research.
0: Thanks, Jason. I have a question for all three panelists. We've got two minutes before the end of this segment, but I'd like to to go in a different direction. We're talking about tools. We're talking about analytics. We're talking about big data. And then we're talking about people. That's that one variable you can't control. You're not sure who they are, what their preferences are or their background. As we were saying, how big a sample do you give them? But let's throw in the V word, one of the three descriptors of big data, velocity, speed. The whole goal is to get that data in, know where to put it, know what to do with it, know how to mine it, and know how to make. Quick, solid, fact based decisions based on that data you analyze with the right tools. So then we introduce people into the equation and the speed of business, business dynamics, marketplace changes, the dynamics of doing business all over the globe right now. What's your competitor doing? How are you going to keep the best people and sell whatever you're selling and make a fortune? So my question is, anybody can answer this right now before we go to break, how do we put these all together in this blender, not not with the chainsaw, the blender and come out with something that works for businesses at the speed they need to operate on today? Who wants to answer that? A, f- well, a short I'll, answer I'll before.
4: I'll start with, with just a quick Please. thought. I mean, the nice thing about big data is big data begets more data. And uh, the nice mm-hmm. thing about that is it creates almost a feedback loop. And I think as companies um, look to apply data out there for the people, again, it needs to be embedded into the things that they're using on a regular basis. It needs to be simple. It can't be something that they're drilling into looking around. It needs to be personalized down to that audience of one, it needs mm-hmm. to be something that as you look at the offer, as you look at that cross-sell opportunity in the case of a retailer, is something that um, they can offer immediately to that customer while they're standing there at the register, because if you get it five yes. minutes later, that person's gone, the opportunity's gone. But what needs to happen is the result of that transaction. Did the person take advantage of the offer? Did they mm-hmm. turn it down? Did they laugh? needs to go back into the system, the algorithm needs to be refined, and that feedback loop needs to be closed in order to really engage with the people and make sure you're providing them with the best possible analytic
0: great point you know what we're at break that's my break point when we come back we're going to be speaking even more with Brian S Summer Josh Greenbaum Jason Rose question i'm going to ask at the top of the next segment is from a point that Brian Summer sent me before the show mobile and bi were hot a couple of years ago then bi and social data got hot we're talking about sentiment analysis etc now bi and big data okay, is becoming hot. Where is the BI space going next and why? We're not going to do predictions. We're just going to talk about it from the standpoint of what's going on today and perhaps some reflection on Sapphire Now. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. We'll be right back. Brad out.
1: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business.
0: by the way, we have my co-producer Malcolm Kimberlin just tweeted something about the rice. Josh Greenbaum, he says, data misuse, consumer report study on arsenic and rice, blah, blah, blah. So go to hashtag SAP radio and, and you can get a little glimpse into uh, the, the uh, shall we say, the perpetuation of this great segment from Josh a little while ago. Brian Summer, let's talk about what's hot and what's not. Mobile, BI, BI social, BI big data. What's on the burner, the front burner right now?
2: Well, let's see. I'd I'd say there's two things uh, that are popping up. Uh, The smart companies for years have already been using uh, triangulation uh, to bring and connect uh, not only third-party data with their own data, with other big data sources. Uh, But I was reading a fascinating deal in the Wall Street Journal the other day where somebody could take human genome data about donors, uh, some kind of tissue donors, whatever, all they needed was a genealogy search engine on the web and a surname and they were able to identify 50 individuals who had actually donated uh, tissue. It was a pretty cool uh, discovery. Triangulation is really hot and man it is really risky because if you don't get it right you may accidentally disclose something that was supposed to stay private, but because of the power of some of these tools and databases, you can make it happen. But that's kind of been going on. I think what's really needed now is we're getting to a point where these tools have evolved or we need a mm-hmm. feedback mechanism with these BI tools and our BI and uh, big data tools. And I'll give you an example. Um, mm-hmm. One of the big cool algorithmic things is that companies have is they can now instantly reassess what prices they want to offer for things like airline tickets or even products in a retail store. And what's not there, though, is okay. So let's say I went to a website and I asked to see the price of an airplane ticket to uh, I don't know Akron, Ohio, and uh, don't know why I'd be going there. But uh, anyway, <laughs> let's, let, let's say let's say I was looking for that ticket and it comes up, and then I decide you know I don't like those prices, so I don't do the uh, transaction. And I kind of wish there was a feedback mechanism that told all those airlines, like, "Hey, you gave a price, and this consumer rejected it," mm-hmm. and nobody has that that I've seen in their models right now. They just dynamically look at what they see as the demand from moment to moment, but they don't look at what's the anti-demand and what are they doing to, uh, you know, what's their pricing doing to uh, affect demand and pricing in a, in a negative way. And there are a lot of these uh, feedback mechanisms that need to be built into these intelligence tools uh, that aren't there yet. And particularly when you add the big data component to it, uh, thinking that social media is the only place you're going to collect uh, sentiment and information as a feedback mechanism, I think is a really short-sighted kind of way of looking at things.
3: It, it is. Very I, I want to yeah. use a, a term I just heard the other day, which I love. It, it creates a self-licking ice cream cone one that just works Ooh. for itself and spins around <laughs> itself and nothing else happens. I, I get all kinds of ads up on my, my browsers that are clearly about the last 20 things I bought. Nothing mm-hmm. about what I want to buy next. That, that, and I think that's kind of where, where Brian's going. You, 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 don't, you, you, don't, you don't really tweak the model well enough. You're just wasting time and energy and not, not getting anywhere. And I think that's, that's a big issue.
0: So what does it take to move it? Uh, Jason, I'll bring you in this in a second. But we talked to, I talked in my intro today about we need visionary leaders with intellectual curiosity. Is that what I'm hearing you say, Brian, and you say, uh, Josh? Is it, is it the leadership? Is it the C-suite who has to say we need to take this a step further? We want to know more, the future-looking, the rejection-looking, backward-looking. Who makes the decisions that a company really needs us?
2: Well, well I'll jump in here. Uh, I think the part of the problem is, We've got uh, a lot of people who've grown up with some uh, very if-then thinking in uh, IT, Mm -hmm. IT systems, programming, and the like. And uh, it's a very linear, literal kind of way of looking at uh, data and technology. And unfortunately, the connection between that and the way people actually think, the way they behave, and everything else is anything but logical. I mean, if, if people were really logical, then there would be none of those impulse buy items, uh, at the checkout counter at the grocery store. I mean, none of us need more candy bars, ice cream, and everything else, or, or soft drinks, and whatever, and trashy magazines, although i I've got two out of three here on my desk right now, but, um. <laughs> Uh, But my point being, I mean, mean, we all have good for us. uh,
0: TMI, TMI. But he doesn't have any rice with arsenic on his desk, right? Uh,
2: Not right now, no. And I do like rice. Uh, But anyway, where I'm going with this is – we definitely need a new way of thinking and we need a new set of uh uh we need a more empathetic individual who is uh, looking at not only the data but it's how people interact uh with businesses with each other and everything else in the world uh to uh you know and how that will trigger behavior i have no doubt i have no doubt at all that uh, the people that are doing a lot of work on BI and everything else are going to do great jobs uh, in big data, do great jobs with, like, machine-generated data. Mm -hmm. Why? Because machines uh, operate in that very linear, logical, uh, never veering kind of way as opposed to dealing with human beings, oh, man, all bets are off at that point. And I think you need a very different kind of uh, individual uh, to look at this stuff who understands what life is like for the person on the other side of like a transaction or whatever. Uh, You need empathy. And, frankly, I don't know that that is a teachable commodity uh, how to teach people to be empathetic, but uh, that's what you need to really get the great insights.
0: Very interesting. Jason Rose, I want to bring you into this. If you want to comment on what Brian just said, but I also want to go in more in the business direction. Uh, Jason, you told me before the show, we're talking about lines of business, digging into how a company operates, sales, finance, manufacturing, operations, et cetera, et cetera. They all have a different BI life cycle and demand. So back to our topic question, do you really need a strategy to make BI successful? So Jason, you want to take that one or you want to go back to the empathy question and then do this? I'll let you. Well, I'll, it I'll, I'll anyway. take
4: a little bit of both because, uh- Uh, I don't know for our our listeners out there who watch uh, Mad Men, I think the empathy topic comes back to Donald Draper on that show, who's a a bit of a luminary, again, not something that can be taught, um, but he has a real empathy and understanding for the consumer, uh, in that case, that he's trying to reach. I think a similar uh, analogy can be drawn to data in terms of, you know, I mentioned you know, 90% of information at organization isn't, aren't being applied today. And I think we're very good at applying, uh, financial data. Uh, we're very good at analyzing, uh, pipelines. We're very good at looking at, uh, historical sales, uh, information. But we're not very good at looking at sentiment, applying, um, some of these new, uh, even some of the machine data, frankly, um, to, you know, utilization of equipment and how that, uh, potentially relates back to the business and how we could, uh, potentially incent even better behavior. Um, and of mm-hmm. course, what that leads to is a lot of this information, this quote unquote big data, is actually well outside those uh, traditional analytical comfort zones of uh, the numeric and of the uh, finance or sales or uh, marketing ilk, where it really does come back to a, we, we were talking binary earlier, where it mm-hmm. comes back to a one or a zero. Is, you know, an increase in pipeline is generally a pretty darn good thing. There's no question about that. A uh, decrease in revenue is generally uh, regarded as a bad thing, but guess what? A decrease in revenue and an increase in profitability can actually be a really good thing. Let's move some of the less profitable uh, products out, focus on more profitable products, and guess what? Revenue could go down, but the bottom line could go up. So there's not always um, that obvious relationship between increasing revenue and uh, increasing profitability or shareholder value add. Now, coming back to the strategy question, it really mm-hmm. uh, begins to come back to, um, you know, where are we seeing the information being generated? And two, is it that uh, useful? So I know um, General Electric has been kind of pretty widely quoted on the uh, big data, in particularly the machine data topic. I think one of their latest jet engine puts out over a terabyte of data per day. Now, yes. that's an awful lot of data being generated, but how much of it is useful probably not that much. Generally, it's checking in, it's saying everything's running within parameters, everything's okay. But guess what? That five bits of information that comes out and says, "Uh uh-oh, you know, we have a problem, is the part that needs to be captured. And oftentimes that can be pretty difficult when you're trying to sift through a whole terabyte of information to find the five bits in the course of that day that were actually um, important and relevant. And then, two, how do you apply that? How do you get that information to the maintenance worker at the next airport where that uh, airplane is landing so that, you know, all of us are probably business travelers. We don't get that dreaded announcement, well, you are Your incoming flight is here it's arrived on time but due to a mechanical issue Mm -hmm. uh, your flight has been delayed or cancelled and i'll tell you what um, i'm a uh, major uh, point collector on a a big u.s airline but i'll tell you the first airline that comes out and says we will guarantee you that we will not have an unplanned mechanical delay might be enough incentive to give give up those points uh, and move to a new airline
0: Wow, I hope the airlines are listening. It sounds like you have a you're a valuable customer, Jason. Uh, Josh Greenbaum, Brian Summer, you want to jump in either one of you and and continue what Jason was talking I, about? I
3: mean, this is such a rich palette of topics. I don't even know where to begin on this one. I mean, but let me let me take the airline example because I think it's a really yeah, interesting please. issue about what what is, you know, what is analysis. So actually, you know, in that aircraft engine, You've got really two kinds of analysis going on. One, one really is about preventive maintenance. And that has its, an internet that has its own sampling rate. Because you don't really, you know, like, like Jason said, you, you've got, you've got 200 sensors in, in the, in the, it happens to be in the new GE Gen X engine and, you know, putting out a terabyte, I think it's a terabyte per flight almost. Mm. Uh, you don't need all the data to know about preventive maintenance. You certainly need to know more data about Catastro- <laughs> preventing catastrophic failure, which is a slightly different point, so I can sample once a minute and just and do my preventive analysis. I, I might want to sample every bit and make sure that i don 't see a single anomaly in the vibration frequency of five key bearings because that points to catastrophic failure. A third level analysis is how do we optimize the use of that engine so that I can actually get the most the most hours in flight. Uh, between maintenance. And that's, and maybe, maybe if I'm running my preventive maintenance well and doing my predictive analysis well, I can actually stretch that engine's use another hundred, two thousand, a thousand flight hours because I know better about what's going on. If I can stretch it a thousand flight hours, now I can reconfigure my network. Now I can actually put that plane in five other places I didn't predict. Now I can offer better services. Now I can, you know, offer discount. I can be doing more on the business side because i have this analysis so that you have multiple levels of analysis that you can do mm-hmm. with the same kind of data from the same source and they have three completely different potential outcomes it gets really hard so so the machine machine stuff is easy because machines are machines and we can do predictive analysis on machines because they do things in a predictable way much more than us crazy humans who are completely unpredictable but it, we still have to think from a human side What's the business model? What's the preventive maintenance model? What is the catastrophic failure preventative maintenance Mm -hmm. model? And how do we construct those optimally? That's a human decision based on machine data. That's just as hard as anything else we're talking about today.
0: Well, I'm going to let the three of you mull this over for just about a minute now as we go to our final break. When we come back, it's time for the crystal ball, i.e., prediction segment. I'm going to ask Brian S. Summer, Josh Greenbaum, Jason Rose to look ahead five years to 2018 and tell me what will we be talking about? Will we call it BI? Will we call it strategy? Will there be a marriage that will be more predictable, hate that word, predictable, where companies will have to put them together. Who will the data scientists of the future in five years be? How smart will they be? How visionary, how proactive, reactive? Tell me who these people will be. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. When we come back, predictions, you can't miss this segment. I promise it'll be great. Brad out.
1: The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. You're enjoying coffee break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to Bonnie D. at sap.com, and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter hashtag SAP Now let's get back to coffee break with Game Changers.
0: Here we are. Most of our conversation so far has been about how smart is BI, and we've also dabbled a little in without a strategy, which was our overall topic. Now I'm going to ask Brian S. Summer from Techventive, Josh Greenbaum from EAC, and Jason Rose from SAP to look deep into the crystal ball of their choice and tell me what they see for our general topic five years from today. I think I'm going to insist on a five-year view because I think they can look that far. So, Brian Summer, how clear is it for you today?
2: Well, I think five years out from now, uh, if the three of us are still around doing this, this kind of a conversation, we'll be talking about the following. Um, one, I think we're going to be astonished at how much video data, big data around video is going to be a big piece of analytic stuff. I can just imagine when there's two hundred million people or two billion people around the world walked around with Google Glass on their heads filming everything mm-hmm. there ever happens, every interaction, every customer store transaction whatever, and it's all being pumped up and moved into into like google's big uh intergalactic uh you know server farm that there are going to be marketers and others who want to mine that stuff for all kinds of insights into consumer behavior and purchasing activity and other kind of uses, which I don't even want to begin to think how that kind of data is going to be used. So I think there's that kind of, I think this video and, uh, you know, kind of uh, angle on this is going to really explode in the next five years. And the other thing I think that's really going to be interesting is there's going to be a the gap between the companies and the people who choose not to play in the big data space is going to get wider and deeper and more pronounced
3: hmm.
2: and to some extent even more punishing than ever before and uh, I, I think we'll see some like uh, we'll, we'll see some casualties along the way of some companies who don 't play, and we may find some people who consciously just don't want to be part of that world. Uh, and there will be some interesting, kind of like social, kind of implications as a res- as a result of that.
0: Interesting. And Brian, before I let you go and turn to Josh's predictions, the data scientist of the future five years today, who will that person be?
2: Well, it's going to be somebody with about a sixty-five inch tall forehead. You know, they're they're going to get a lot of extra bolt-on memory. Uh, you know, to uh, do all that quant work. I'm just kidding. It's. Uh, it's going to be uh, – I think that scientist type is going to have to be a – it's not the traditional IT person. It's going to be somebody with uh, mm-hmm. math, statistics, and other kind of social um, social sciences kind of background who maybe has a minor in like IT or algorithm or math or something like that. I don't think that that job description is going to change much over time. But I think they're going to be paired up and partnered more and more with uh, other folks who kind of backfill for some of the other skills they need to really make brilliant insights come out of the information that's in front of them.
0: That was a brilliant comment. That really was. Thank you very much. Josh Greenbaum, you're involved in education. In the course of your predictions, why don't you touch on how we will educate these people who need to have all these skills to be the right kind of data scientists going forward. Josh, what do you see in your crystal ball five uh, years ahead? And I
3: have to do this in two minutes. Um, thank
0: you. Two and a half. I'll giving this, you two, two and half. a half because Brian this, was short. Of, of course. Big passionate topic for me. I think. I think what –
3: first of all, I really hope that in five years from now, my kids – in high school will be will be these data scientists, not because we've trained them to be data scientists, but mm-hmm. because we've trained them to think about data in new and different ways. I think the data scientists in the business world in five years, and I'm not going to let my kids go to work Thank yet, you. it's really going to not be one person. It's going to be a collection of people. This, this example I gave about arsenic and rice was a dinner table example precisely because that's how we solve the problem. I understand data, I've got a good background in statistics. My wife understands Mm -hmm. epidemiology. That's her world in public health. When we put our brains together, we can start asking the questions and, and really trying to find out what's going on. And I think this is really where we're going to have to go in the business world, is is synthesize these brains. Put these four heads together, stack them up one by one. And, and, make <laughs> and you'll it get so there. That it's, it's a collective effort, not an individual effort. And, and I'll add one other thing. A lot of the big decisions, I'm sorry, the little decisions that matter in a big way are actually going to be made by machine BI. And I think machine mm-hmm. intelligence and machine analytics are really going to drive a lot of the points of analysis and points of decision down into, the, into, a, into a machine and, and let humans step back and try not to answer the millisecond questions we can't answer anyway, but take, have these bigger strategic views and hopefully, again, in a, in a collective, not an individual way.
0: Thank you very much, Josh. And Jason, last but not least, of course, Jason Rose from SAP. What do you see in the crystal ball? Jason, can you go five years out?
4: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, I'm going to build on Brian's uh, quote, uh, think big and then think bigger. I think right now, uh, what we've seen is in the social world and in the um, world of Google and Facebook and other other um, uh, kind of uh, uh, consumer-based applications, we've seen really big applications. If you think about Facebook, it's enormous. If you think about Google documenting, um, you know, basically everything on the entire internet, if you think about Wikipedia and the knowledge base that's represented by Wikipedia, now let's think about your internal BI deployment It's Mm -hmm. for sales, it's for marketing, it's for finance, and generally those three applications may not even share a common meta or master data data layer. I think in five years, we'll start to see some of that scale and mass we see in the consumer space. Imagine actually applying that within the um, uh, realm of the corporation so that now you can ask and perform complex tasks in the way, just like when you plan your family vacation using one Mm -hmm. of your favorite travel sites right now, you can optimize price, you can optimize optimize time. You can optimize luxury in the hotel room. You can do all of that very easily, but now think about putting together a personalized campaign or program to target a specific customer set. You don't have the data. You need to call people. You need to look around. I see all of that going away. I see a big emphasis on a much more holistic view of information within the organization in a more standardized platform, just like Google, um, Facebook or um, wikipedia is doing outside of the corporation today
0: thank you jason and quick question add-on for you please the dna of the future data scientist uh, where do we educate them where do we find them will that be a subset of the workforce that will be highly prized and highly paid talk to me
4: well I, i think it will be highly uh prized and highly paid and i think the good news is um, we're certainly hearing and seeing a lot of uh, noise and um, uh, concern in the business press and in the press in general about this knowledge gap between uh, the information being generated and the skills needed to analyze and understand that information and I tend to agree with Josh I think you know as we look at humanities philosophy critical thinking as a, as a discipline I think many more schools uh, going right from the high school level to the postgraduate level are going to emphasize those skills a lot more heavily and the smart students are already looking at their job prospects as they're selecting a uh, path through university and realizing there's a very rich career to be had in this uh, space of analytics. So I believe a lot of the kind of best and brightest are looking at this right now as they're entering into their high school and, and uh, 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 kind of post-graduate uh, studies and going, that's where I want to be, that's where the future is, and uh, I'm going to uh, play in that space.
0: Thank you, and I'm going to take it one step farther going back in time because I think the guidance counselors in schools, high schools, colleges, need to know these areas exist in the workforce. They need to be able to counsel kids with great math aptitude early on. I remember being on the math team in junior high school, and we traveled school to school, New York City high schools, traveled school to school doing extremely difficult math problems with a timekeeper and competing to see who could think outside the box. It was fun, but I think it got a lot of us involved in that love of math very early on. Josh, that's a note for you. Anyway, it's time for my predictions. I saved them for last. Coffee break with Game Changers, as you know, Wednesdays, 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 Eastern. May 29th, we're going to be talking about in-memory technology for SMEs, small to mid-sized enterprises. And the subtitle of that show is Real Possibilities. Don't miss that one. June 5th, we're having Dan Mahold from SAP come back and talk about power to the patient, giving you, the, giving you the consumer, your medical information, how Via mobile, on the go, where and when you need it. And we have Financial Excellence with Game Changers, Tuesdays, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, where I am, May 28th next week, the evolution of business planning, and June 4th, the new CFO agenda, tying predictive analytics to financial performance what do you think about that special thank you to my three wonderful guests you all play so well in the sandbox i appreciate your flexibility your knowledge your expertise and your camaraderie great group i think you're the role model for the best round table panel Brian S. Summer, Josh Greenbapp, Jason Rose. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Shout-outs to Malcolm Kimberlin, co-producer, and our wonderful tweeters, Margot Heiligman and Kristen Mestry. We had some tweets from SAP Social On Demand. Genesis Consulting joined us today. Thank you. And, of course, a nod to Brad and Ryan on the Business Channel team. Okay, put your seatbelts on. Here's my call to action. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game-changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another edition of... Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag, pound SAP, R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.